Wonderful. Once again, good afternoon, everyone, and a warm welcome to you all. And I would ask you to join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers. And our program would be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. And also, I'd like to thank Media Events CA, Canada's online event space, and VVC for live streaming today's event. Again, my name is Danny Asaf and I have the pleasure of serving as the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto for this 2015-2016 season and honored to be your host here today. For over, our, over 119 years, actually, the Canadian Club has been proud to provide Canadians with this closely guarded, nonpartisan platform for the free and open exchange of ideas on the issues that impact our daily lives. Through our programs and our events, including our youth and young leaders programs, our diversity partnerships, joint events, and media and social media opportunities, we are always pleased to offer you dynamic political, social, and business figures, both from abroad and here at home. Before I take the opportunity to formally introduce uh, today's guest speaker, I would ask you to provide me a short indulgence to tell you briefly about some of our exciting upcoming events. On May 31st, we're proud to host Isidore Sharp, the founder and chairman of Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, who will receive our 2015 Lifetime Achievement Award. And on June 2nd, uh, we're looking forward to hosting uh, Premier Brian Pallister of Manitoba, who we're proud will take our podium on that date. To learn more about uh, the Canadian Club and our events, please feel free to visit us at canadianclub.org, and you can also follow the conversation via Twitter at CDNCLBTO. Also, I would like to take an opportunity uh, to express a special thanks to our event sponsor, TD, TD Securities. Thank you. We would like to thank you for your generous support. As a non-profit uh, organization, uh, we can't hold these events without the, the support of folks like TD Securities. And also, I would like to thank Air Canada as our, uh, as our uh, proud airline sponsor of the Canadian Club of Toronto for this season. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker. And as we all know, a lot of the news out of Alberta isn't very good with the wildfires that have wreaked havoc on, on Fort McMurray, with the issues relating to pipelines, and of course, uh, the low price of oil. So with these challenges, there has got to be some ray of hope and to look for opportunity. And as Canadians, and I'm sure every generation, feels that they are faced with certain fundamental challenges that are important for them to answer. So for Canada, we know that we need energy and the world needs energy, and that is something that is a reality, one way or another. We also know that as Canadians, we have part of the solutions to our own problems and those of the world with vast and precious energy resources. We also know that we care very deeply about our climate and our environment. So the question for all of us is this critical question needs to be answered. And we're not entitled for those answers to be easy. So then the question is, who and what organizations and institutions are going to lead us to the future and answer these questions? 
And Synovus, one of Canada's leading energy companies, is definitely one under the leadership of Brian Ferguson to take the lead. So a few things to note is just in terms of its own community, a note here that Synovus has assisted the emergency relief efforts in Fort McMurray uh, with $230,000. We know other things about Synovus, such as over the years, they have purchased since 2009, I believe, $1.8 billion of products and services from Aboriginal businesses. And we also know that they have been a very successful company up until today. And we also know that they have taken their commitment to their own employees very seriously with freezing salaries of executives for, for three years, more than any other, more than their employees and others. And people like Brian Ferguson have taken the lead on that. Brian serves, as you know, as the president and CEO of Synovus since inception in 2009. He joined Synovus in 1984 and joined the management team as far back as 1994. He is a graduate of the University of Alberta Commerce Program. And in case I haven't mentioned already, I'm also from Alberta and proud to say an alumni of the University of Alberta and the Commerce Program. So it's a particularly proud moment for me here today to host him. He's also a member of the board at TD and a fellow of Chartered Professional Accountants of Alberta. And he's also been recently appointed to the Federal Minister of Finance Advisory Council on Economic Growth. Brian is also actively involved in professional organizations in groups in his community. And in, for example, in 2001, he became the chair of the Calgary Police Foundation and has the distinction of being named Calgary's first honorary deputy police chief. And we thank you for joining us today. And today on the podium, he will also be joined by one of Canada's leading columnists, Margaret Wente of the Globe and Mail. And I will now cede this podium, this podium of record here to Mr. Brian Ferguson and Margaret Wente. Thank you very much. Well, Brian, there is so much to talk about. I'm not sure how we're going to squash it all in. Well, we'll, um, we'll try. We'll try. I'll give you short answers. <laughs> well, these are complicated questions. But um, well, let me start out with, I thought of you, I've been thinking of you all week. I thought of you yesterday hmm. when I got my Globe and Mail, and right there in the front page is a headline. And the headline says, uh, oil sands cause major air pollution. And I thought, you know, the oil sands are, in a way, they're kind of public enemy number one right now in this country. And um, they're, they're probably, you know, the most loathed industry around. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's actually a, a terrible thing for Canada, but it's a fact. And so when you get up and you see a headline like that, like that another headline like that, my question is, how does the oil sands industry get out from under that reputation and that perception that you are 
the bad guys? Well, that's a, that's a very important question. Um, you know, first of all, I, I would say that um, uh, you know, we welcome in the industry, and we welcome at Synovus, uh, all science, fact-based research, monitoring on, on the environmental impact of, of the oil sands. That's how we improve. Uh, you know, how, how, do we, how do we change that image? Because it's an, it's an image, uh, and I would uh, uh, be delighted to sit down and have uh, a discussion with anybody about the actual performance. To me, it's about performance. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, so, for example, in Synovus's case, we've reduced our uh, emissions intensity per barrel by 30% since 2007. Uh, set a, a target inside the company that we want to produce a barrel of oil without any emissions. We set an interim target where we want to reduce our emissions footprint by another 50% by 2026. Without any emissions? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I, I absolutely believe that oil can be part of a low-carbon future. Uh, there's a number of misconceptions which have resulted in the, uh, the impression that, uh, that you've, you've described, Margaret. And, you know, to me, you know, that, that's one of the things why, you know, I was one of the supporters with uh, four other CEOs of the Alberta Climate Leadership Plan. You know, we not only, uh, you know, what we were able to do is we sat down, there was a small group of uh, CEOs that sat down with a group of environmental leaders in 2014, before we had changes in government in Alberta and in Ottawa, said, look, you know, how do we break, break this logjam? How do we problem solve? How, how do we get to some common understanding? The, the aha moment came when what we started to focus on was it, it's emissions. It's not production of oil. It's the emissions from the oil. So Alberta is the very first jurisdiction that I'm aware of anywhere in the world that has actually set an emissions limit. Uh, you know, there isn't any jurisdiction in the world. Uh, and, and the carbon tax that Alberta has put into place, the majority of the proceeds from that carbon levy are going to go into technology, the technology to address the concern, which is emissions. Uh, I, I've been a big fan in my career of, you know, the most important thing I think you have to do is to have a good problem definition, to find the problem or the issue you're trying to address and then work on that. But if you don't have the right issue identified, then you can't, you don't, you don't stand a chance really of, uh, of addressing that. What I saw last November struck me as a real, really major pivot point mm -hmm. for the industry. When you and Murray Edwards got up with Rachel Notley on stage and stood together and said, we're partnering, we're partnering with an NDP government on climate change and emissions reduction. It seemed to me that the, the industry had completely had flipped at that point, realizing that uh, uh, you have to be inside the tent or else mm. you'll get nowhere. But that struck me as an extraordinary moment. Well, I, I, I think that's one of the fundamental attributes of earning the public confidence that we all need to be able to, and, and Danny referred to the abundant endowment of natural resources that we as Canadians have. 
to me, we have a huge obligation to develop those resources in a responsible, world-class manner. And I absolutely believe that we are doing that. I'll give you another example today. You know, I talked about improving our performance as we go forward, eliminating emissions. Today, Sonova's production from our oil sands actually qualifies for the low carbon standard in California. We're actually selling our oil sands production into California. And, that, and that's without further improvements. Let me ask you this. I want to press a little bit more on this. Um, another piece of news. Uh, the National Energy Board um, reported on the Trans Mountain application. Here's a case where, uh, to me, the, the problem is logic is all very well, but perception and emotion and uh, those in the environment, environmental movement who will never be satisfied by anything, anything you do under any circumstances, um, are being held to climb. So here's Trans Mountain, and it's, it's had a really, it's, it's done the, the application impeccably. It's had years and years of hearings, consultations. Um, they've done everything right. Uh, the application is strong. The NEB comes out and it says, yeah, it's good. We've got a whole bunch of amendments here. And what happens? The prime minister pops up and says, oh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We're going to appoint an expert panel to do more consultations. Now, to me, the question is, and to Jeffrey Simpson and a lot of other people, the question is, how do we ever get to yes? How are we ever going to get to yes in an environment where uh, pipeline decisions have become purely political? So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that we certainly welcome is science, fact-based decision-making, policy decision, legislation. Uh, you know, it is unlikely on virtually any topic that you would raise in a democracy that you will get unanimous support. Uh, but what we have to make sure that we're doing is that we are addressing the uh, critical science, technology-based, and societal concerns. Uh, and to me, that's one I'll come back to, again to the, the climate legislation out of Alberta. That, that really is unique in terms of the, uh, the, the, the legislation and the policy go forward, which I believe has actually started to change the, the dialogue and the conversation around market access, around the opportunity for us as Canadians to get any of our goods or services to global markets. This isn't just about oil. Yeah, we've got to get our finished goods to global markets. We've got to be able to get grain to global markets. We've got to be able to get uh, wood products. You, you, you name it, we, we've got to have access. In today's world, you know, the, the headline you read that you described in Global Mail, I'll bet you there was 10 other headlines about something else that's going on somewhere else in the world, not just in Canada. And this is a global, uh, we are in a global environment. We are, in a, we are a trading nation. We need to be able to, within a reasonable period of time, come to an informed decision that whatever the topic is, and let's pick pipelines in specific, that they can be constructed, operated in an absolute world-class manner. We have to address issues around marine safety, which are part of 
the, the 157 conditions and subject twos that were part of the NEB report. I'm absolutely confident that we can that we can do that. Uh, if it takes, uh, and, and what the uh, federal government has done is said that they've created this tripartite panel, which will report by November of this year, and then decision goes to Governor and Council, which is cabinet, by the end of the year. So we will have our, our answer. Uh, I'm optimistic. It looks to me, that though, that just that Mr. Trudeau uh, is just trying to punt this uh, as you know as often as he can, so, I, so I, that he doesn't actually have to make a hard decision that is bound to disappoint somebody because he's, you know, he's made promises um, that are contradictory. Um, he, has, he has said to environmentalists, no, 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 we're going we're to satisfy you. And he's also said we're going to get pipelines built. But once he, he if he ever has to make a decision, he's going to have to spend some political capital on it. Uh, yes. And do you think he's ready to do that? Um, I, uh, well, <laughs> I'll quote you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> I, I, I've had the opportunity uh, on a couple of occasions to have a conversation with the Prime Minister. Um, yeah, you know, he's been out to Calgary. Uh, I've had the opportunity to have discussions with our Minister of Natural Resources, our Minister of Finance, uh, with our Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Uh, I believe that they all recognize, number one, the importance of the environment, number two, the importance of our economy, and that they are really two sides of the same coin, that we can absolutely develop these resources that we have in uh, a manner that meets all of the best and highest standards in the world. You know, we made commitments uh, on, on climate change. That's something that all Canadians are concerned about. My company's done a lot of surveying over the last three years of Canadians. And climate change is something that is top of mind for Canadians. It is, and, and we share that concern. It's one of the big societal issues that we face today. You know, and, and Sonovus is, intends to be part of the solution for that. And you know, that, to me, is what we've got to focus on, is, is solutions. To me, it is uh, illogical. You've got this fantastic energy source, which is, is oil. And that's what distinguishes developed from developing economies, is access to affordable, reliable, and abundant energy sources. To completely leapfrog over oil and say, we're not going to spend some time, some effort, some dollars on addressing the concern, which is emissions, both from production and consumption, that, that, that's illogical to say that we're going to just jump over that. I'm a big believer in technology. I'm a big believer in innovation. And we, and we have, so to speak, put our money where our mouth is in supporting the climate legislation in, in Alberta. If I can't deliver on that technology, then I will wind up with a production limitation. But I absolutely believe that we can do that. We, we've got new technologies. Uh, you know, the one that's really at the forefront with it, which I think within the next three to five years is going to have a dramatic change, is the use of solvents, which is a lighter hydrocarbon. Uh, you know, just a quick fact here. 80% yeah. of the oil sands are too deep below surface to surface mine. They're going to be recovered using a drilling technology of some form. That's all 100% of our, our activity in the oil sands is through drilling activities. Uh, you know, we, we can and we will 
deliver in terms of reducing those emissions and developing that. You know, a couple of other statistics, and again, you come back, you know, so it's got to be performance-based. You know, I invite anybody who has the opportunity to actually come and see what we're doing in, in the oil sands. Uh, and I, to me, that's one of the things that is critically important is that our, our legislators, our elected officials, uh, are, in fact, uh, having access to the right, um, uh, the right factual and science-based information. Important. Yes. And yet... And I'm not going to guess as to what he's going to decide. <laughs> I know what I would advise him. Punch. <laughs> and, uh, and yet, it remains a fact, at least for the foreseeable future, that uh, any increase in, in production, and, and Sonovas plans, plans a big increase in production, mm -hmm. oil sands production in the next little while, will increase... CO2 emissions. There's just no way around that. And you got a whole lot of folks who say, nope, anything that increases CO2 emissions, unacceptable. Um, here's the, you know, Jeff Simpson wrote a, wrote a, a column this week too, and I, I thought of you. And he's written about this before, but his point is that there are so many people who have the power to say no that uh, getting to yes is almost, well, he would say, he, he would say, almost impossible. They include fickle politicians who are always looking to get reelected so they can't, can't get too offside um, with the activists. And of course, you know, one of, your, one of the big industry problems is that nobody's, nobody's demonstrating in the streets saying build more pipelines. It's all the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, you have fickle politicians. You've got um, Aboriginal issues, especially in BC, where land claims are unsettled. You have hundred, dozens and dozens of different uh, Aborig Aboriginal constituencies that uh, each one of which can say, no, not in my backyard. None of them are all going to ever line up and say yes all mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, you would have to say, for example, uh, Jeff Simpson argues that, that BC, given that list of people who can say no, um, and the Aboriginal land title situation, which is a total mess, BC has got to be one of the worst places to do resource business in the world. Um, I'm not sure if there was a question in there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a question. Let me make an observation. Is he being too pessimistic? <laughs> uh, and I, I get accused of being a serial optimist, so uh, I, I am an optimist. Uh, I think that we absolutely demonstrated when we started the conversation with this group of environmental leaders in 2014 that even if you've got different viewpoints, if you're prepared to sit down and have a discussion about what those differences are and define the real issue you're concerned about, that you can absolutely find a solution. That's one of the hallmarks of, of democracy. I think that's one of the hallmarks of Canadians is that, yeah, we do recognize there are multiple interests. These are complex issues and questions, as you pointed out earlier on, but there are absolutely solutions. And the key thing to me is how do we get to yes 
Um, it may not be unanimous, but if it is a vast majority, then uh, and we can demonstrate to those that continue to have concerns that the performance is actually there and that the issues they were concerned about are being, in fact, addressed, you know, that's how we move forward. Let's talk about the interesting question from the audience. Let's talk about Energy East. Another, all these pipelines are controversial. Mm -hmm. um, Energy East, you know, maybe can't get built because of political opposition in Quebec. Uh, and the, the federal government is, is going to be um, careful, careful with that one. Does Energy East have a chance, do you think? It's such a, to, to me, and probably to most people, it's, it's you know, an absolutely logical no-brainer, but in this world where logic doesn't run things. Mm. So what do you think the, the, the outlook is there? I think the answer is yes, it absolutely does. Mm -hmm. it, it stands more than a chance. And mm -hmm. what, what I should also disclose is that Synovus is uh, and, and has made commitments to the Trans Mountain expansion, to the Northern Gateway Pipeline, to Keystone XL, and to Energy East. Now, we're, we're of the view that we need a portfolio of options to get our product to, to Tidewater. You know, Energy East uh, is one that obviously, you know, repurposing a portion of the natural gas mainline to Montreal and then new build through Quebec uh, to St. John. You know, th this is an incredibly important uh, and, to me, rational, uh, rational project for our country. You know, Quebec and Ontario uh, imports something in the order of close to 600,000 barrels a day of oil that comes in the St. Lawrence Seaway from places like Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Nigeria. So we have the opportunity to displace those imports with Canadian crude that is produced to the highest standards in the world as well as the construction that jobs and the economic uh, benefits of it. And, and I'm absolutely confident that we can satisfy any environmental concerns. And one of the things that I think we need to do, you know, I talked about getting the right stakeholders around the table. I think one of the big things that our federal government is focusing on is having a conversation with the provinces and getting the provinces together to look at you know, the long-term economic growth. I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, uh, I, I agreed to sit on Minister Morneau's economic advisory councils. I think that we need to figure out ways to continue to move our economy forward in the 21st century. And I absolutely believe that the natural resources we're endowed with are a big part of how we move forward over the medium and long term and in the short run uh, as well. No question. It's a, it's a matter of uh, getting the message across to, I guess, the vast majority of ordinary Canadians who don't understand their technical issues. All they hear is the, all they hear is the noise, mm -hmm. and, um, and they're not sure who to trust. Mm -hmm. Big issue with that. Let me ask you um, another question. Very, I don't know if you, how much you want to touch this one, but you know, we also have a new... You're, you're going to ask me an easy question. We, so. we have a new green policy here in Ontario <laughs> where I guess we're going to phase out natural gas and 
we're all going to be riding around in electric cars and um, and uh, uh, unicorns will be frolicking in the back garden. All, all kinds of other wonderful things will happen. Um, do you have any comments or observations on the Ontario Green Plan? Well, um, I think uh, Premier Wynne was actually in Edmonton yesterday meeting with Premier Notley. Uh, I think she also, uh, if, the, if the reports I heard in the media were correct, she actually said there wasn't a plan to abolish the use of natural gas in, uh, in Ontario. I, I think the most important thing was the fact that Premier Wynne and Premier Notley were actually meeting to talk about how we move forward and how we move forward with the clean tech solutions, whether that's to the use of oil and gas, whether that's on renewables, you know, how do we do that? In, in innovation technology, you know, and that, that's one of the things that I've probably used those words several times so far, and I'll probably use them again here, but that, that is the way that we move forward. It is the 21st century, and science-based solutions to, to, to issues and challenges are the way of the future, and that's the way of our business. The oil and gas industry is a very high-tech industry. I, I, I quite often use the phrase that we're really a technology company working in the oil and gas industry, and that's the approach that we need to be taking. Yes, that's absolutely correct, and yet uh, it's still the oil and gas industry is still characterized by so many people as uh, part of our hewers of wood, drawers of water um, legacy, uh, which is a, an enormous misconception. How do you get the message out that uh, we're not just ex an extractive country? Well, I, I think that's one of the great opportunities you, you referred. Uh our, new prime, our, our relatively new prime minister. We've got a change in government in Edmonton. You know, the, these are governments that I think have the opportunity today with the population to actually influence and change that dialogue. You know, now that they're in power, and that, that's one of the great opportunities that both of them have. We have majority governments in Edmonton and Ottawa for another three to four years minimum before another election. Majority governments can make policy decisions, and that's to me where it's really important that our legislators, our policymakers, have got access to the correct factual information to make informed decisions. That's why we elect people in this country, is to make those, those laws and govern the country. This is a very interesting question from Harvey Lamb. Thank you, Harvey. Um, You've stressed that Synovus is not just in the oil sands business anymore, but is also in the business of coming up with um, technological solutions to climate change by um, finding ways to reduce carbon emissions and uh, invest in clean energy. How important is it for the future of your company to invest in clean energy? And how do you get that balance right between present and future goals? So one of the uh, energy products that I would put in clean energy, remember my, my statement that I want to be able to produce a barrel of oil without any emissions. I think, absolutely believe, that hydrocarbons can be part of a clean energy future and a low carbon future. 
the, the, we've partnered, for example, and set up a clean tech fund that's based out of Vancouver with the BC mm-hmm. clean tech industry. Its focus is on commercializing uh, technologies that will address not just production but also environmental uh, issues as it relates to the oil and gas industry. We're one of the founding members of an organization called COSIA, which is the Canadian Oil Sands Innovation Allowance, where 13 oil sands producers got Mm -hmm. together. We have agreed to combine efforts to improve our environmental performance. We have pooled $1.3 billion in IP that is focused on improving environmental performance. And it's focused on four platforms. One is land, water, tailings ponds, and the other one is GHGs. We have basically solved land, water, and tailings now as an industry, and our focus is on GHG. Uh, and I, as I said, as a company, you know, we're really trying to partner with like-minded companies in our industry, with academia, with young entrepreneurs around the world to address what you and I and others in this room do on a day-to-day basis in terms of emissions from, from our lifestyles. And we can absolutely do that. So environmentally responsible oil sands industry is the message that you're trying to put out there. Uh, environmentally responsible oil sands industry that can compete in today's mm. low price environment. Yes, right. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about that for a bit. Okay. Um, you have uh, said you said a month ago that uh, this year, 2016, so far, for Synovus has been among the the most the most brutally tough or toughly brutal um, business conditions uh, in in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the landscape there and? Tell us if you see any let-up in sight. Sure. Uh, I I need to preface my response by saying every business, every industry will go through business cycles and will go through downturns. I don't need to remind people in Toronto about 2008, 2009. Uh, We are obviously experiencing a very pronounced and structural change in the oil industry. This is change that's happening around the world. It isn't just here in Canada. It's not just in, in Calgary. Uh, we have been, uh, as, uh, as a company, we've actually reduced our expenditures in terms of operating costs, GNA costs, capital, by over a billion dollars over the last 18 months. In the first quarter, my cash operating costs in the oil sands were under $10 Canadian per barrel. We've reduced our our operating costs by about 40% per barrel. We're focusing on new uh, structural changes, and and this is one of the most difficult parts. Obviously, uh, one of the things that's very front of mind for me is is my shareholders, uh, but also my employees. And obviously, shareholders have experienced uh, a big downturn not just in my stock, but in the energy sector, generally speaking, over the last uh, 24 months. Uh, from an employee perspective, this is one of those things. These are decisions that are, are the worst decisions a CEO needs 
and has to be involved in are staffing reductions. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very difficult. They have impact people's lives, their careers, their families, but they're necessary. I have to make sure that Synovus is a company that has a cost structure that can compete against the marginal barrel supply in North America. And uh, we continue to focus on ways in which we will, uh, we will improve that. So I've heard over and over again from oil sands critics, um, including some of my own colleagues, that uh, you know the oil sands are basically defunct because they can't possibly make money in the current cost environment. So they're wrong. They're yes. wrong. Yes. They're wrong. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I can talk, I'll give you another data point here. So. Um, I mentioned my cash operating cost, Canadian dollars. Cash operating cost, transportation, royalties, I can cover all of those at a project level in $35 WTI range. As a corporation, I can cover all my GNA, my interest costs, all my corporate costs, all my production transportation costs today in, a, in about $45 to $47 WTI and cover all and generate enough cash flow yeah to cover all of my capital expenditures is 1.2 billion my and my dividend as well. So I'm, I'm generating free cash flow in today's price environment. Um, I, I'm, I believe that we will be in a more volatile price environment. By definition, OPEC isn't solving for price anymore. Supply and demand will solve for price. I think we're going to see more volatility. Uh, you know, one of the strategies we have is to be integrated. Uh, we own uh, interests in refineries uh, in the United States. Uh, we own a unit train loading facility. So it's my, my belief that companies that can participate along the value chain can actually capture that volatility for the benefit of their shareholders and benefit of their employees as we go forward. Do we have to change in which the way we, we, we operate and run our companies? Absolutely we do. And we've got to be able to compete globally. And I'll come back to one of the topics you were talking about earlier was, you know, how do we get projects uh, permitted? You know, so from a Canadian perspective, the opportunity cost to our country over the last five years has been about $40 billion in foregone revenue because we don't have access to Tidewater for our products. That's another key component here to uh, how do we generate competitive returns globally from our own resource. It's, uh, it's getting our product to Tidewater. So it's cost is a big part of the equation. Pricing is the other big part of the equation. What, uh, it's an extraordinary business environment. I cannot think of um, any chief executive who operates with more uh, stuff coming at him. <laughs> stuff coming at him from, from all over the place. Um, my so hair used to be dark and I had a full head of hair. <laughs> I have to say, pardon me for interrupting, but so uh, this is my eighth down cycle, which means by okay. definition I've seen seven up cycles. So I expect <laughs> to see an eighth up cycle. Optimism helps. So what, what keeps you up at night? Is there anything that keeps you up at night? So, uh, you know, certainly I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the impact on staff. Uh, you know, right now, uh, as I as I, I, I focus on moving the company forward, 
Um, and, I, and I really mean seriously moving the company forward from where we are today. We've made some very necessary and fundamental changes inside the company. My focus right now is making sure that I reestablish uh, an equilibrium, uh, an esprit de corps inside our company, that there is an exciting future for our shareholders, an exciting future for my staff uh, as we go forward. And um, one last question or part comment, part question. Um, give us, just give us a quick update on Fort McMurray, which I think in a, in a, in a good way was a, really rally, was a real rallying point for Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this much-hated town, very symbolic place, but uh, the way people rallied around I think was uh, quite, quite inspiring. Oh, so uh, when will you guys be back to normal, do you think, up there? Well, so uh, it, it's a little bit of a moving target, but it's certainly within the next uh, next few weeks uh, that that production will be back up and, and running. What we've got to make what has to happen before you can start to move people back into into Fort McMurray is you got to make sure that it's safe for them to go back, that they got the access to the goods and services. So you have to have the, the industrial and the commercial base back up and running, uh, and then they're going to stage people coming back into Fort McMurray. You won't have 90,000 people going up all at the, all at the same time. Uh, you, you know, the way you started the, the observation of the question, I think, was a, a fantastic one. It's, it's been amazing to me as a Canadian to observe, you know, the, the contribution, I mean, the, the donations that have come into the Red Cross, Canadian Red Cross, for example, are really, really phenomenal. Uh, support by the country. You know, th this looks like it may be the largest natural disaster in Canadian history. Um, it, it, to me, it's it's amazing that we were able to evacuate 90,000 people yeah. in a very very short order uh, without any significant injuries, let alone any deaths. Uh, you know, one, one of the key reasons for that, I believe, is that you've got basically at least half the population of Fort McMurray that is trained daily in emergency response procedures and in safety. Uh, you know, so again, that is one of the things that is core to the way our industry operates is workplace safety, is process safety. And mm. you know, those are, I think, tangible examples of the responsible way in which we yeah. develop the... So in a way, it really showed the values of... Uh the values of the, the industry and the people that are at, at their best. I, I believe so, yes. Wonderful. I wish you all success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. In our brief remaining time, it's my pleasure to thank uh, both Margaret. Thank you, Margaret, for your, your candid your insightful and, and thoughtful questions. Greatly appreciate you being with us today and, and being able to help us advance this discussion. Also, uh, thank you, Brian Ferguson. Thanks for outlining the problem, some of the things that we have at stake with metrics like $40 billion has been lost to our economy, and you start to think of how many schools and hospitals and other things that we value in, a, in our community that could be funded uh, if we had access to that money. Also, interesting leadership in comments such as you are a technology company in the oil and gas business, that you hope to produce a barrel of oil without emissions. 
So today, if the question was, does the future of the oil and gas industry have a role in a world where we want to see our climate preserved and enhanced, we are more confident today with your participation and your leadership that the solutions to those complex questions will be a possibility, a probability, and God willing, soon at hand. Thank you very much. Bob.